CSU Stanford. I'm Mark Milano. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show about housing, economics, morality, politics, and so much more. Today in the program, a special bonus episode of sorts, insofar as SP50 is on ice. It is delayed for this year, 2019, made into a two-year bill due to the work of our lovely Pasadena Senator. And this episode is recorded in the present tense. This is is recorded when it was a going concern for this year. So, uh, and talking about the efforts by Livable California, Paulo Alton's for Sensible Zoning, to, to ice it, which happened... So just just keep that time warp in 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 mind. We are joined by Max Kapczynski talking about SB50. Some talk about the Red Brown Alliance, the propaganda machine, <laughs> other fun stuff. So just just sit back and enjoy. It's a bonus thing. So do what you will. So welcome back, Max. Yeah, it's good to be back, Mark. <laughs> what what is in the news right now uh, is SB fifty Senate Bill fifty continually and perennially in the news. Yes, yes. Which a lot of people say it's you know it is just you know another version of eight twenty seven from last year. Uh, and here is me being very blunt. My main purpose with anything in sporting housing is to do well in my own backyard, which is to uh, change. Palo Alto as much as possible in dramatic ways as quickly as possible is my like is just my dominant goal for everything. A twenty seven was not a perfect bill, but it was still going to make people in Palo Alto upset who were NIMBYs, so I was for it. This one is going to make them even more upset, so I just out of the gate. Yeah, there's a lot more meat in this one. There's a lot more there's a lot more involvement from every kind of housing group. And representative around the state, it's got a ton more legislative support. And compared to A27, the chances of this happening are much, much higher. And it, they seem, the NIMBYs at least seem much more scared on that account. I mean, just incre- like incredible amount of more coalition building. They got like the AARP yeah. to endorse it, which is like, how do you get like the AARP to do something when like it's about change? You know, it's like. Although at the, at the, from the view from space is. Gosh, there sure is not enough housing being built for all of our dues-paying members that we represent. The answer seems clear. Uh, more density, more construction means more homes for anything, any group that this this people represent, including the AARP. So what what is a 30-second uh, picture of SB50? Ooh, a bunch of red and yellow bullseyes of density <laughs> dropped on top of transit stations all throughout the Bay Area and California. That's what that's kind of what 827 was last year and yeah. I still I still you know supported it from a Palo Alto's perspective yes. even though it largely left the peninsula untouched and it be- mostly hit San Francisco and yeah. it mostly hit poor neighborhoods just like any and that's the problem the best place to put housing is near transit the places that fought transit are rich neighborhoods they will be least affected or disproportionately unaffected by um by putting housing next to transit which is 
which is something they planned, which is which is very much the intention, and then they can fight it on these false terms. Well, even last year, it was kind of like uh, you say, like little bullseyes around every you know uh, every train stop around yeah. here. In SF, the entire city was targeted. Yeah, because it was around bus lines as well, and busy in, bus lines. And in the city, the mission didn't really get a disproportionate increase. It actually got pretty much unaffected, whereas the that sunset got painted deep yes. red. The sunset and. Honestly, and like the, and the north side as well, and all around, yeah, and all through Noe Valley, all around, all anywhere down the J Church, which is right around where I live now, um, and that that is kind of that is a, a subtle point that people didn't really pay attention to. The mission and Soma and stuff are already highly upzoned. The density is already quite high. Exactly, it wouldn't have really been increased much by this by this policy, but it did look. It did still keep drawing disproportionate attention. There's a lot of people that would rather narrow the housing fight to the mission and talk about it only there, where it looks a lot worse from a from a tenant advocate's standpoint than all these rich neighborhoods that is where the construction really needs to happen. And we're getting way off line here, but uh, this is well over 30 seconds. But and uh, again, again, you, the, the tenant advocate in SF, which again, I'm sticking on the scene, but just so often you hear like, up on the west side, okay, I'm not going to get out of bed for it, but yeah, sure. Uh, it's not going to not going to bother me. But if you if you really want to stop the targeting the mission, yes, it it is really the the sunset doing nothing is strangling the places yes. where where it is politically the possible and Palo Alto, the entirety of the peninsula. Absolutely. So so I I grudgingly said like eight twenty seven. Uh, this is probably the best I can hope for, and I was a fool because. Uh, it got so much better uh, because they said high opportunity zones will basically be quad, pl- you know, quadplex everywhere. So good, yeah. So every single spot of Palo Alto is basically quadplex. I love it. And I said, like in the past, okay, you know, I hate the attitude of saying, you know, you know, renters, uh, you can crack a few eggs, uh, but I felt eight twenty seven alone is an anti-displacionary bill because when you build so much capacity in places where you can't touch now, it will take the pressure off, yes. and this will, this will reduce displacement we have. Well, and, these, and this, is, this is construction in places where if the homeowner um, were to sell, that they could afford to move somewhere else. These are people with assets. These are people with you know who aren't going to be pushed out of town if their living situation gets changed. And that's really that's the key to, to closing the loop around construction and gentrification is build in the places where this, these, are not, these are not the most sensitive populations. The the goal for everybody who cares about tenants, which should be like everybody who has yes. any heart, you need to hit the owner occupiers. Don't yes. hit the tenants. Yes, exactly. And here's the key: the key in in hitting the owner occupiers, not the tenants, is not just not touching the tenants. It's actually touching the owner occupiers. Yes, you have to do both parts. Yes, and and and, and you can again, you can argue to these owner occupiers that this is really in their interests they've created this cartel a minority of a minority of them surely to block any kind of construction or any kind of density um to the short term and you know and insane increase of their house values but i would say they're really blocking themselves from really stratospheric increases in their land prices if you were to be able to knock down the structure and place it with one that's much more valuable. And that would be healthier. It wouldn't be a loss to the economy. It would be a gain to it. And it would be a much greater gain to the owner-occupier as well. It's a it's a tenuous sort of prisoner's dilemma here, which is, okay, no one wants everyone else to cash out and build apartment buildings. Exactly. So we all need to 
to band together through zoning yes. to make sure no one does it. Because they want to maintain a lifestyle. They exactly. want to maintain a lifestyle and aesthetic we and a composition the of their town. Absolutely. Economic and racial composition of their town. <laughs> oh, how dare you? Yes. Uh, but uh, so in the past, I feel like even that alone, it would still be a net benefit to tenants. SB 50, so much better, doesn't touch tenants at all. Yeah. If it's a rental property. It's got specific language around that, right? It has specific language about to make sure that uh, if there was a renter for the last seven years, Mm. you can't. You can't use any of the benefits SB 50. Mm. What is the point of that? The point of that is not saying, okay, day one, you're a renter place. Day two, you put the Ellis Act in place. Everyone gets evicted, and yeah. now you start using it because we, that's a bad outcome. We don't want that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, and uh, what is one more good thing? Sense of communities, just completely not touched. They use CASA maps, and they aren't they aren't touched here for the SB 50, at least in the uh, immediate like five-year run-up. Oh, really? How's that? How does that work? What's that? What's that mechanism? Of the five-year type thing? Or of the CASA map? The CASA map, uh, it is a political map done by the CASA coalition. They produced a lot of things, but what is the sense of community? And, of course, this creates a lot of political issues. For example, uh, what about the Richmond District SF? Is that a sense of community? Um, I don't know much about what, what about the structures, the built environment. How do they flesh out what that means? I mean, usually it is if you're writing an op-ed and your friend lives there and they think that they don't want anything to change, you call it a sensitive community. Yes, you call the sleepy, but, <laughs> the sleepy, well-filled driveways. Yeah, and you know, lines and lines of street without even a convenience store. You know, broken by the occasional school or pathetically small park. Yes, that's community. So in general, it's like I want change. I I want change to hit the people who deserve it. And you're never going to get an absolute targeted campaign unless you actually f- flipped on the LV, you know, the uh, land value tax s- switch. You're never going to have a perfect solution. Well, that's the thing. We always come back to that, folks. Let us remind you again. Yeah. There is a perfect solution to, yeah. to land use, and it is a high land value tax. That's why you're listening. Exactly. You but know we're, this. We're, we're stuck in Jarvis land. Uh, we have Prop 13 in place, so this isn't happening. But uh, in the meantime, this does a really good job of actually listening to proper coalitions to make sure that we're aligning incentives. Yeah, and speaking directly to the people who had problems with SB 827 and how blind it was to, like, it, it had this, the, it appealed a lot to wonks because they just loved those big blobs of density all around these rich neighborhoods. They saw it, they loved it, but it really was uh, empty of language um, to the tenants groups and to people who really would be upset by what, because surely the construction would happen first. They would find a way to make it get done first in poorer neighborhoods. But this language is in here, and it's directed especially for these these groups that were left out of 827, and now I think it's really got political support on that basis. So I think there is a lot of, I think, good faith responses saying, you know, this is good. We still need more changes to make sure we're safe. For example, mm. Act LA put out a series of serious concerns, say we won't support this until it is amended. Um, and their concerns are very good. For example, uh, stuff about you need to make sure there weren't renters in the last seven years. A lot of places lack a rental registry. Uh, mm, there's actually yeah. bills in place to create rental registries, but it is absolutely important that, yes, uh, you need to make sure that these don't just uh, protect tenants in language. They actually need to protect te- uh, tenants in fact. Yes. And these are incredibly good processes. And I really am encouraged by the fact that these are being incorporated. And I would love to see every single concern be addressed. Uh, and you have to be realistic here. For example, I'm concerned the fact that this will not do a good job as long as Prop 13 is in place, but mm. you can't tie repeal Prop 13 to SB 50 because that ain't going to happen. That's a bad, that would be massive project. That would be enormous. 
Um, but it, it it goes into though of something that I think will be necessary to start deflating Prop 13 <laughs> is kind of letting the air out of this crazy land bubble that we're in. We need to do that before we do a Prop 13, either a wholesale repeal or a stepped stepped repeal. We need something like SB 50 or even broader to, like I said, let the air out of this insane bubble. Yes, and I think also it kind of invites more action. When you build more and more in cities, you need more infrastructure. And how are you yes. going to pay for infrastructure? Oh, well, oh, property taxes. Yeah, a little bit. Well, and also, too, as as all these properties, if if this construction really recycles as many properties as I hope it will, it'll do a huge amount towards ironing out the enormous gap in back property taxes without touching any language of Prop 13. If all these single-family homes are torn, out, torn down, rebuilt, sold, they will snap right back to their current value, even under Prop 13. Mm. And that'll go a huge way towards solving this gap and towards easing the burden it, on owner-occupiers. They can maybe get out first, um, and then that'll go a long way towards... And people will see that we've got really got something out of construction and density and this kind of big project at the state level around housing. It is true. The fact that it is reset does give you a dampening. The fact that it it kind of pays for itself in the short term and you can f- figure out a more long term fix. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about a lot of. I mean, sausage being made in Sacramento is ugly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I am not. Uh, I I am very skeptical of power in a lot of senses, (laughs) and I definitely don't think anything really happens in a perfect way, but I encourage that this is about as good as you can expect from the legislative process in general. Yeah, for a (laughs) top-down initiative that, I mean... I'm I'm skeptical of power as well, and it's much easier to look to you know the centralized, far away, superseding authority of the state and be concerned with what they're doing. And but in the meantime, we are in this crisis because lo- quiet, unassuming, humble local control is is working overtime behind the scenes to to exercise its power. They are not worried what people will think when they exercise local control. They, in fact, they wear it on its face. We want local control to be stronger than ever. And that is the power that needs to be pushed back against. And it should be up to a strong state to balance out local control in a, in a process like this. There is a failure going on. And, and I think that's what I want to address here is the fact that we talked about briefly, because I think it's actually working well, and I respect everybody involved, a lot of the good faith reaction and kind of growth and evolution of the legislation here. Let's talk about the bad faith reactions. Yes. <laughs> so immediately yes. after and this drop, separate them. <laughs> immediately after this dropped, uh, Tim Redman of 48 Hills, mm. uh, a great blog, uh, w- uh, wrote about SB 50 as it was a new bill. Uh, it has no protection for p- commercial property or for owner occupied single family homes. Protection, you say? Yeah. Tell me more about what he, what kind of protections he wants. So, I mean, the fact is, he sees uh, displacement of poor uh, homeowners who live in their own homes they own uh, throughout the region and have really nothing to their name except for the millions of dollars of home equity. Yes. Or, (laughs) I mean, it is. I mean, this is again. This is this is what bad faith actors do. They will draw in something like this. With a completely simplified argument, it is the case that if you're if you are a low income homeowner and your major asset is your house, you've probably let the bank tap you out of all your equity with refinances, and you probably won't get much. And yeah, what you might get for selling your house might be a pittance, and now you have no more major asset. That is a serious thing, but that's not the argument he's making. It's not a broader equity argument for equity. This is just holding up this little example, this little shred of social justice language, and and trying to make something that it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's saying displacement is bad, and where it happens, which 
is targeted towards the places with the highest opportunity zones yes. and also people who make the choice. Let's be said, no one is actually, you know, insofar as I support repealing Prop 13, but with Prop 13 in place, no one is ever going to have their hand forced here. Yes. If you are making uh, buco bucks for for selling your place and having an up zone to a quadplex, that no, is, no one is forcing you to do that. that. It's very, very weird to call it displacement. Yes, and as much as I am in support of the government seizing property and forcing it to be built up on, <laughs> let me restate my support for that. This is not what's happening. We're not yeah. talking about land seizures. We're not talking about about reappropriation of land. Like We're not talking about that. In some places they are, and that's very radical discourse, but this is incredibly unradical. This is like, please, homeowners, we would love you to sell your houses or turn them into a duplex. This is strictly an expansion of of property rights and of the interests of homeowners, but they care more about parking spots and schools and homogenous racial composition of the neighborhoods. So, um, so uh, one, one person who does not shy away from the language of displacement uh, is uh, Palo Alto Council person uh, Lydia Ku. Oh, certainly not. That is her primary concern: is uh, the displacement of all of Palo Alto's underprivileged. Did, did you see this uh, this article in the Daily Post uh, uh, last yes, month? Yes, I did. This is, I think, it's a wonderful article. This is something you rarely see, which is Councilwoman Ku taking a beating on Twitter. It's just an article talking about the fact that she is bad at Twitter and everyone makes fun of her. And that she's getting dunked on daily. Like... And I believe this is front page news <laughs> just because uh which is really fantastic uh lydia ku i think as far as kind of describing the process of bad faith interaction oh is, god did you just pulled up her twitter page right now and just that banner and just everything i'm i my my insides are shriveling up right now looking at this it is so wonderful what this comes from because it is all across the board of what she will post in order to kind of just it. She's she is pure chaos. She is she is a, <laughs> she is a, she. To make it clear, she's a realtor uh, who who works in Palo Alto, who also decides the land use of Palo Alto. Yeah, she which is, is lawful evil. That's what she is. She's lawful evil. I'd say she's chaotic evil. Uh, but uh, chaotic evil would be like, I well yeah. yeah. She likes she likes rules. She wants to defend the rules. She has absolutely no morality, no moral system. She just wants to maintain the rules and even expand them to keep it the way she wants. She likes a system. I, hmm, that's interesting. But I there as far as the ideology underpinning it, what my main thesis here Her morality is, is chaotic evil. Her sure. poli- her, her her policy, her politics her, I, I would say, would be would be lawful evil. But yeah, she will come up with anything. She will say absolutely anything. She will say any combination of words, any kind of word salad, any kind of, you know, if you fed NIMBY text into an AI and had it spit out arguments, like, Ku could have already been replaced by a computer, and we really just don't know it. It's weird. She, she, if there's anything that supports let's not do SB50, she will uh, retweet it. Yeah. So she's retweeted people with hammers and sickles in their logo. Uh, ah. She has retweeted. Uh, She's retweeting tankies who don't like SB50. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This uh, absolutely. W- wonderful account, uh, which is kind of this weird. What uh, about Red Brown Alliance? What were we saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I am not willing to uh, say there is a Red B- Brown Alliance writ large, but you can see it in all sorts of small. It depends what you mean by crisis. Small places. So here is a very red account. This is an account with eight followers. Let's not draw attention to it. But this account with a huge hammer and sickle, retweeted by Lydia Ku, is followed by only about eight accounts. And of this, uh, one is uh, two of them are NIMBY 
uh, Marine County homeowners. One is a, <laughs> a NIMBY Berkeley homeowner. Uh, one is an account uh, backyard you know, of paradise. What in God? Oh yeah, backyard of paradise. Oh, yeah. So good lord. Here's the and thing. then landlords for more landlords. Like what is that? Uh, what that, does that that's, mean? That's an account making fun of uh, Yimby, saying that they are astroturf for landlords. Oh, I see. Yes, yeah, and so. that they want to expand <laughs> the the petty land ownership. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Whatever. So fine. Just it's. I mean, you see this across the board. It's literally it's, unironically. With actual realtors in their list of favorites, like that is who these people, you know, in, in their quest to find anything, you know, to dunk on and to make and to be critical of an SP50 or the Yimby crowd. This is this is the kind of alliances they draw. It's fantastic. Which is like, is this really a considerable part of the left wing? I'd say no. No one who oh is, God, no, no one who is serious. No one who is serious is a let's never get rid of exclusionary zoning yeah. until we get a Marxist utopia. These are either one incredibly dumb teenagers and just silly people who are just way too online about this this situation yeah where their main thing is they want to have uh twitter fights with neolibs which yes. is like i agree that's fun neolibs are really fun to dunk on yes and there's a lot of yimbies that don't that make themselves look terrible on twitter yes i understand yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> but it, or you get people who really are kind of putting on a bad faith act in order to get a pat on the head from from Marin County homeowners. Yeah, or or the, the the wing of the DSA that, you know, just pays attention to kind of what this weird online party line that's been established and, you know, and without really thinking. I think most leftists don't have any conception of land use. They'll go to the last argument they heard or the one they hear most often. And, I and think there's not really a good there's not really a good far leftist vision of land use outside of, you know, Fully automated luxury San Francisco com space communism, yes. How dare you say communism, not Georgism in that sense. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't want to dominate the discourse, but as far as a far left vision of what the perfect land use policy should yeah. be for the left, uh, I have it and it's Georgism. And yeah. it, it, the sooner we all accept it, the, the sooner we can just be done with yes, this. Yes, and Georgism richly interwoven with plenty of land seizures by the state, a huge amount of public housing. And it's land seizures for the powerful, not the powerless. Yes. If you dislike developer profits, hey, it gets rid of that. If you hate yes. land speculators, it gets rid of that. If well, you hate NIMBY yes. homeowners, it gets rid of that. Well, and that's how you can find these bad faith actors. Well, some of them are bad faith actors. Some of them are leftists with no imagination. But they say things like, yes, developer profits, no, awful. But they, you have the imagination. If you are a far leftist, you should be saying, let's legislate away these awful things that we do not like. This thing is the wrong cost. Let's legislate to bring down the cost. These people are being displaced. Let's stop that right now. And make a plan, too, to make sure that people do not get displaced in the future and, in fact, can return. But they don't have the imagination or the conception of land use that lets them see this through and trust in it. The only line they have on land use is these cheap lines about developer profits, a lot of which they hear and learn from bad faith NIMBYs. I mean, it is it is a necessarily incoherent worldview, which yeah. only says, let's say no to this change because it's bad. And yes, in this imperfect world we're in, you can always find reasons why any change is going to have an argument why it could be bad to some extent. But you have to actually say, like, what is your worldview of how things should change and how do we get from here to there? And is this compatible with it? And yeah. here's my case of I believe in land reform in a truly dramatic scale. I oh, think yeah. it's necessary. 
I think that removing exclusionary zoning in high opportunity areas is compatible with it, and that's why I support SB 50. Uh, and I want to see as many of the uh, amendments brought in to make sure that tenants are supported as much as possible. But yeah. even if they aren't, I believe that it is anti-displacionary, uh, you know, just by itself. Oh, absolutely. Well, and a lot of far leftists, or even just kind of online, you know, DSA Twitter people, don't have a real conception of the power that comes with home ownership and the power that is expressed through land use the real the political power the economic power they don't really have a sense of it all they have mostly a sense of how it of how it shakes out in an interaction that leads to a displacement a building is sold people are kicked out and the you know the yuppie condos are built that happens it's very visible you can see those changes but just sleeping in vast millions of acres is the suburban fascist power that and that is represented by NIMBYs and NIMBY culture. And I appreciate YIMBY the most and it gives me this 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 fire because it, it looks directly at that culture and repudiates it. Yeah. And the left hasn't really caught up because they don't have a sense of land use. There is a trap and it's a trap of nostalgia, a trap of what is honest and, you know, kind of comes from nature, which is change is about industry, it's bad. Change is capitalism. Change is the enemy. And, I mean, a lot of times that is not a bad heuristic. Uh, be- but when you're talking about the divide between the landed and landless within our cities, when change doesn't happen, it is about the landed strangling the landless. Yes, it's, if, yes, it's any kind of value, any kind of increase in value, any kind of transfer comes strictly at the expense of those without power. Because this is what happens... In because okay, these this leftist kind of sentiment around land use, this DSA leftist situation, at least on the internet, it's anti-growth. It's yeah. an, it's an anti-growth mindset. They don't want to see their city change. They don't want to see growth. They confuse growth with they conflate gro- the harmful um, effects of the market with what they see as the harmful effects of growth. What you're seeing in the little growth that happens and little change that happens is the market viciously destroying the people at the very bottom. This is what the market does in the absence of proper growth and properly managed and owned growth, managed and owned democratically. Um, the most recent premium episode of Chapo um, goes very quite, quite very deeply into this and about the, the blind spot that a lot of people on the current left do have about markets and about growth. The enemy is markets. The enemy is what they choose, how they choose to create value, um, who it comes at the expense of, the absence of legislation to control that. Growth is good and must happen. People will keep having children. We will need more apartments and more people should have more places to work. There should be more trains. There should be more schools. There should be more of everything sold to supply all these people. But it must not be Dis, um, it must not be distributed solely by a market, and certainly not a market controlled by these cartel interests like land is. That is just the the worst excesses of the market, controlled and funneled by the people who just want to to squeeze excess value out of it in a parasitic way. Yeah, and I, I, I think I push back against that phrasing to an extent, saying the problem sure. is markets. Markets are a mechanism. A mechanism can be equitable. A mechanism can be a good way of distributing scarce resources well. Oh, it you can are, be, certainly. You are never not going to have markets. And this, I, this, no, I, certainly not. I mean, here's something that I think, is this something that just makes me sound stupid? The Soviet Union, command economy, yes. it had markets. They were oh, internal yes. markets, mm-hmm. and they didn't work very well. 
but they had markets. And what was the and problem? Anything they traded and export as well with a market economy necessarily was sure. Yeah. yeah. Every time you deal with how you distribute scarce resources, unless you have a complete commons, which has its own issues. Mm-hmm. I don't think True. the solution to housing is to have a big green field. Say everybody just pile in. I don't. I mean, it's a nice thought. I don't think it's going to scale. I don't think you're going to find a good system of infrastructure to make that work. Oh, no, I th- certainly not. Yeah. And when I when I'm inveighing against markets like this, I'm. <laughs> it's the absence of it's the absence of of this democratic mechanism that we should have that looks at the situation and says the price of this thing is wrong the supply of this thing is wrong yeah i it's, honestly it doesn't it doesn't kill people when you know if we were to have more or less market control in the supply of certain consumer goods if your socks are a little more expensive it absolutely does not matter those are the things that markets distribute well people think about markets like they think about how markets distribute them consumer goods but these important goods these very scarce goods critical to life should not be distributed solely by market forces, just like healthcare. The, the difference is, do you listen to markets or do you control and design markets? Yes. <laughs> do you, exactly. Do you do you have an out, a socially desirable outcome in mind or do you just let the producers make as much money as they will and call that the best of all possible worlds? Because you're listening to property rights yes. or some sort of, you know, this is the way we do things here. Yes. Or worse, under the guise of of this 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 market absolutism let flagrant cartel behavior flagrant market failures and distortions you know go on and call that property rights and call that freedom the freedom to create exclusionary zoning it's insane like you can be a leftist but for like you must be for production of things production of wealth is good it's the distribution of wealth that is what that is what's bad like homes will still be built in the socialist utopia businesses will still be run um cash will still trade hands minerals will still be pulled out of the ground trees will still be cut down it'll look like the extraction and the production people who are on the hard left take a look at that and they're horrified by the whole process i'm not yeah i'm not horrified by the process it must happen and it must be distributed well i do the more marks you take in the more difficult it is keeping your head because i think that it be it is very hard to have a a world where you do have uh, positive growth mm. and efficiency and industry and and you actually see equity, fairness, egalitarianism, it's very hard. In, instead, you get people saying, we need degrowth. We need yes. an end to industry. And well, I that, th- that's against Marx's thoughts. Marx admired that capitalism was able to produce so much. Wealth is good. We need more wealth. And it needs to be distributed to the people at the bottom, but that wealth needs to be created by vigorous and ever-expanding means of production. It's the relations of production that need to be changed, the means of production, how they're owned, how it's distributed, whatever. Marx was pro-growth. Marx was pro-wealth. Marx was pro-stuff and giving it to the people who needed it. Like, we are going to still have agribusiness in the socialist utopia, but it's going to be run by the state and distributed properly. And the ethical and moral concerns that the market right now drives to such a horrible place will not be a problem. So are you saying the only reason why Georgia seem like they don't fall into the traps of Marxist is because the fact that there's a lot of late 19th century post-Marx thinkers who made up the really weird conclusions, whereas George never had this kind of weird... Uh, uh, you know, thinkers who who were led down the swell. Yes, well, that's why I think land use is the is the purest way to base your politics on. And I'm so glad and it's refreshing. <laughs> it is pure about carving up 
Yes. A limited, it necessarily is about carving up a limited resource. Yes, it's about how a limited resource is distributed. It's how about how power is enacted, you know, through control of this resource. It's how, and it goes down all the way to the very bottom of how wealth is generated in the primary sector, all the way to the very top about who owns what, where this earned and unearned income comes from, who is immiserated, you know, in this huge scale. It is the, land use is the purest way of looking at politics, and George had the most lucid view of it, and it wasn't polluted. By by uh, two hundred years of fan fiction about Marx that went all into these tiny stupid corridors, <laughs> and it's very funny that in so many strains of Marxist thought, uh, you know, land is just treated as like f- fairly unimportant. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and land use incredibly unimportant, just very odd, very yeah. very odd. Well, they don't want to think about the mechanisms of capitalist production and. They don't want to think about working within it or taking it over or improving it. They don't have, they, they did have no sense of it. So let's talk about, um, more about Lydia Koo being bad on Twitter. Oh. Uh, so Lydia Koo, she is like uh, uh, retweeting, I'm just going through retweets, Richard Walker, uh, the awful, at least in his public face recently, I think he actually puts out good research material uh, in yeah. his work. But boy, as a pundit, just talks about the fact, oh, yeah, nimbyism is a problem. That's his main kind of talking tour right now, which even he goes Fantastic. on. He goes on uh, KQED and says, like, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, but Paul Alto, they are the problem. Don't get me wrong. Paul Alto, Ugh. they're the nimbies that are bad. Uh, but it doesn't stop Lady Koo from, uh, from retweeting an article. Don't blame the nimbies. Tax the companies. Uh, oh, that's, of course, their favorite thing. Yeah. Because, uh, again, they would rather be anti-growth in this way than let their stranglehold be be eased or see control be ceded to a central authority. So as far as chaos goes, she's she's retweeting the Housing Rights Committee. Um, she's retweeting this is an article from uh, LATU, uh, an article which uh, I believe LA Tenancy News. The article is about we don't need Yembe, we need Fimbi. Uh, we need public housing in our backyard. Yeah, okay, but I don't really see that vision or energy coming. Are you from saying? Are you saying Lydia Koo? Are you saying Lydia Koo doesn't support that? <laughs> Lydia Koo, I, I tweeted at her one time. Says like she says like, oh, we need this this pinball machine in our city, and I said we need this in our city, and I posted. Uh, a photo of uh, of Red Vienna's uh, public housing. <laughs> it's this gigantic photo, and she uh, replied to me, "She's like, ha ha ha, you want you want prisons in our community." <laughs> Lydia Koo wants prisons, not in her community. She wants. Yeah. She would love it. But no, <laughs> so, it's not uh, incompatible with her views. I mean, so it's just this. That's, kind how she, that's how she thinks of apartments. She thinks of them as prisons yes. because they're not her. They don't fit what her suburban fascist little brain thinks is the best and the only way to live and that any alternative to that should be fought against with the utmost force. I got I got I got blocked on Twitter and I made nice with uh, Save Marinwood uh because I called him that Marin County uh fascist mm. and he didn't like that and we made can't, peace. I can't imagine why. And maybe I'll say like you don't have to even I think people just say like you call me a fascist I'm not going to talk to you. I think the key is you can just describe what they want. To say, you know, it's why it is a bad outcome. Even I mean, yes. I certainly believe it is pretty close. How do you define fascism? Because I've my own definition. I think people say is way too broad. Which is, I say, it's vigorous government intervention to aid the powerful. Yes, I would exactly. It's and I go back to Matt Chrisman's definition. The way he explained it, I've, I learned a lot about fascism from the way he explained it on on one of his solo episodes. Uh, it's suppression of the left amid powerful. I'm I'm including. Inserting the word "powerful," powerful popular support, mm. support not just of the, not just of the like the scared lumpen, but also of powerful aristocratic and business interests. The left is something that comes from outside the high structures of power to 
perhaps and often take decisive government action for the benefit for maybe nationalistic benefit, but often for benefit of the workers and the poor. Fascism, the power may be expressed often in great numbers among the lower classes, but it is controlled and birthed from and amenable to and run by the very powerful. That does not change in fascism. And that's what I see this this suburban this suburban power coming out. That is the entrenched interest, that it is the entrenched power. And they want to express their power and crack down on people through government intervention and want to and want to block any kind of leftist government intervention on that basis. That is that is entirely compatible with what I consider fascism to be. And it's kind of interesting because you now get to the point that it is a it's a democratic thing because like oh it's not just the elite it's everybody who's a homeowner as I say here so you get you know you know, you buy in has to be at least two million dollars of, yes. of property values yes. and then you're part of the ruling elite it's Th- a democratic you- movement if your consideration of who is a voter is uh, of the 18th century consideration if you're a landowner absolutely and I think if you talk about the populist language. Uh, and this is something I want to talk about now is kind of my uh, – I went to uh, – here in Palo Alto on St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. I went to uh, the Livable California in conjunction with the Palo Altans for Sensible Zoning, uh, a big rally against SB50 in Ooh, Casa. Oh, boy. It was pretty fun. Uh, great, great flyer. I just showed you this of uh, – they're trying to rally the troops showing uh, – Lo- your local zoning being put into a paper shredder. Yeah, that was their that was their clip art. That was their graphic sting. Which it's is beautiful. I love it. It's so funny when you get something that really does inspire dread in some and inspires such joy. Because I can't think of anything that inspires more joy in me than putting Paul Alto's zoning code through a sh- through uh, a paper shredder. Yeah, I would get that as a tattoo. That's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful really image. Really beautiful. You go here. Uh, I'm just looking. Some of uh, Susan uh, Kirsch of Liberal California put some slides about we need to change the narrative. Uh, and I think, oh God, I love all the disruption talk in these slides. Like, search for consensus, change the narrative, and you know, change the game. <laughs> so the the, the Liberal California party line used to be basically let our cities do local control. It works. Local control is local control. It always listen yes, to it. Yes, local control absolutists. Yes, yes. And part of this is local control means yeah, let cities let cities uh, pop up. Let cities have 10 jobs for every new housing. Yes. Just do whatever. It's Let good. them do what's in their narrow interest and have absolutely no collaboration between cities or superseding um, by the state when it is appropriate for them to exercise their power. They want that wiped away. They don't want any of that. And I'll say this from an economic perspective, it's absolutely rational that everybody who was a homeowner who needed to pay for stuff wanted industry here to pay for it. Yes. And it worked like a charm mm-hmm. until you start getting blowback when people are saying, hey, by the way, let's scratch out your absolute uh, control of local zoning. And they're like, wait, new plan, new plan, business is bad. Yes. You know, we are now the small cities that want no business. We want the, the big companies to pay their share, which, by the way, they should pay their share, and I don't think they are. They and should. They should pay more. They should pay more corporate tax. But it is, I think, on the dis- state and federal level, and then that money should be reinvested back down by the state and federal government to build the things that are necessary. If you leave it up to the cities, it's on too too small of a scale. Absolutely, and I and I think it's just very disingenuous to say that the big tech companies are responsible for creating a housing shortage when really. I mean, I think they're amoral entities that just kind of exist, and it's not their job. It is our government's job 
to control growth. Yes. We've done a really bad job of this. Well, and in the cases where tech companies want to build housing directly, like Google's North Bayshore plan, the city is doing their utmost to stop it. I'm not saying Google would be an, would be angelic by doing this, but I would trust Google a lot more to run this housing at cost and just use it as a way to keep their employees close to the office to, so they can stay out of the buses longer. That is their incredibly rational motivation for doing this. But I would think that that they would be much more virtuous in doing this, much more of a closed loop. They are providing something. They, they it, The money would be coming right from, out from the, their own paychecks they pay. Google should be building housing for its employees. They want to. It would go a huge way towards solving this crisis and keep the pressure off sensitive areas. And Mountain View said, oh, no, we are going to try to stop you at every turn. And 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 I don't even think it's necessarily virtuous. And I think having a company town is actually pretty scary. But... It's, I think, a better outcome than adding the jobs anyway and then not building any housing, which is the outcome in so many places. Yes. Or when when Google is restricted from building where even in the incredibly – in the places where Google is allowed to build or has built out, it's the most unfavorable land in almost the whole bay. It's an incredibly huge traffic snarl trying to get people in and out of there. They – it is in their interest to build more office and build more housing for their workers in that land that they own. They are unable to do it. So traffic gets worse. Fewer and fewer people take the bus as the offices spread out. And now they're buying big tracts of land in San Jose and sparking this entire gentrification displacement debate in San Jose because they don't have yeah. the ability to build up on the land that they do have. And the traffic problem, the displacement is going to spread south. The, the job of our governance is to channel amoral power into doing better things than worse things. We yeah. have failed at that, and instead it is sprawling out to San Jose and mm-hmm. causing more displacement. It's caused displacement through the entire peninsula area yes. because we're not taking action to channel this well. And if you're going to say, like, oh, yeah, you're the bad thing, it's like you, you put your hose on and flood the basement. Yes. It's like it's your fault for not putting in a bucket, you know? Yes. It's, it's like you, you, can't, you can't blame the water for going out of the hose. Yes. Yeah. Well, the way we build our cities is the way we run our government. What is built by whom, in what style, and all the problems that come from it are a direct one-to-one representation of how we run our government. All these tiny, sprawling cities linked together by expressways with abundant parking. All these littler cities linked together by interstates. That's all that's paid for by the federal government is highway support, not actual building of density, not building of public transit, not any kind of responsible growth, and not we have environmentalism, but only as far as it goes to blocking new high-density housing projects, not hacking down greenfield land and turning it into housing developments. That's not where our environmentalism applies. Yeah. It's so naked in the way our cities are built. And that is the only thing which is off the table, which is you don't touch you don't touch low-density housing. That's, yeah. that's the only thing off the table. You don't, you don't touch cars. Yeah. Uh, and, and because of that, we see massive chaos. And I think a more... A more serious response would be, okay, how do you create a sustainable and sensible world in which we get what we want, which is low density? I think that's still pretty strange that that is your number one goal. Is Their number one goal is uh, low density. Weird, weirdo people. Just Weirdos. Yeah, I yes. mean, if you, want, if you want low density, start, go to Kansas, go to the middle of nowhere. There is no lack of, of low density. It's very weird to say, I want low density and I want every house to cost $3 million. Yeah, well, that's a weird thing to want. Well, that's the thing because this is like, just like how the fascist support comes out from the bourgeoisie. This is, this is the more or less, this is the economically liberal class. 
the economically liberal class, many of them with the culturally liberal trappings that they know and love. They want Palo Alto's, they they want the kind of space and the kind of living situation, the, the kinds you get in any sunbelt city, you know, in, in some, you know, far away, far flung suburb of Phoenix. But they want Palo Alto's food and they want Palo Alto's proximity to the high paying jobs that pay for the lifestyle that they enjoy. They want to go to democratic club meetings with the kind of people that they like who vote for the kind of things that they like to send their kids to the good schools and to get them right into Stanford. That's all the trappings and results they want. And they want us to live like we're in Phoenix. Are you, are you seriously saying that even though they publicly claim they don't want so much industry, they actually appreciate the job markets? They love it. That's how how dare you? They love it. How dare They all do. I, Either they work directly in tech or they are somebody like a realtor, like like <laughs> darling Miss Koo, you're and you're make money of lying. hand over fist. I would never accuse these people of lying. They're they're wonderful people. Uh, the, they just want the best for us all. <laughs> these people. So they, they say, like, what is CASA? What is SB fifty? It is a top down autocratic rule by this by Sacramento. I mean, they're 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 not wrong. I think it is a very crude way to do it, but you know, it's it's it is something. What is their response? It's this kind of populist idea of we want democracy. We want carrot and support. These vague words, yeah. And the mixing of metaphors, too. Not carrot and stick. Carrot and support. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? I mean, it just goes like, we want mother's love and little babies. Yes. It's like and preserve what's unique. There's nothing unique about Palo oh. Alto, except in its misery. <laughs> it's pretty bad. House, in, in the, now they're saying, yes, there is a problem with housing, but it's not, a, it's not a, a catastrophe. It's not a crisis. We need to give our ideas a try. I mean, Palo Alto has built a minuscule amount of housing. They're, yeah. They they have no system in place. So when you give the shot, it's a turning point. We it's on the order of hundreds of units a year, right? We, the new units in Palo Alto, hundreds of units a year? I think less than that. Less I, than that. I, I think their goal was... This it, is the city in which the least has changed, and they are the yeah. most concerned. I would love to have that off a hand, but... Uh, again, com- the cities that are majority, really majority working class, talking about the North Bay, talking about the bottom part of the East Bay... You know, around Fremont, around Concord, that kind of area, they are building, 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 building out and building up. They are dedicated to serving the people that live in their cities, um, and they are—they are really—they're really hurting for it. They're in huge budget problems, huge utility problems, and the cities like Palo Alto that are the most accountable are the most are the most guilty in this sense. Are the most concerned? They wringing the hands the most, and they're doing the least. Yeah, I mean, and and when anything happens, when anything goes down, it's going to be the Antiochs, it's going to be the Tracys, the Mercedes, the next which are going a, to suffer, and the people yeah. live there are suffering now. Yes, and all throughout the foothills, that's where these people are going. They're going to the Central Valley, the cities in the Central Valley, and the cities in the foothills, where. You know, new housing tracts are being bulldozed. All that land that is going to burn down in the next fire, that's where people are being put. We just keep putting them farther and farther away. People are going to Reno, for goodness sakes. If if you are, if Palo Alto is the only place where you can really get change without a substantial amount of human suffering in the vicinity to put the maximum density here, and if you don't support it, I really truly believe you are simply a bad person. If you're a Palo Alto homeowner who is anti-SB50. Yes. <laughs> you know, a utilitarian, if I was a utilitarian, I might want, it would be an interesting exercise to actually analyze, you know, what will the suffering be like amongst the Palo Altans? Because I think they will suffer greatly. The kind of suffering that one would associate with, you know, flood, famine, war. If you put up a cell tower in front of their house, the 
the sh- the short circuits in in that homeowner's brain, you can see the smoke coming out of their ears. I believe that is real suffering, and my utilitarian model would say I think that's real suffering. And I think if these people suffer and hurt and you know grind their teeth as they sleep thinking about the kind of change that'll come to their town, I think that is good, and that will go in the good column of my utilitarian model. I want to make these people suffer in this way; they deserve it, and the society will be better for it. So as far as, uh, you know, how do they even picture their own suffering? You can see this in the... Yes, those little slide-away things. In the Embarcadero Institute oh my God. Uh, created this this article, which is Overview SB50. They show how it's going to affect Palo Alto. And then what does it look like? And they have these... It just It's really, really, really weird. This is their picture of hell. Their picture of hell is... What we see here when we start is a couple ranch houses, each of which cost $3 million, one car parked in the street... Uh, you change it, and now you see. Yes, you put on the Hell Vision goggles. <laughs> the Hell Vision goggles. It's like uh, it's. Yes, uh, for the yeah. goggles from They Live. You see what the the real the agenda of the developers is, and it's just it's one more car, one more building, and a bunch of happy people. <laughs> so it's very funny. They put an apartment building with families, with people who actually are walking around enjoying yeah. life. And I'll say this: there are some things that are bad here. They show a yeah. bicyclist being hit by a car. You know what's bad here? It's the car being hit, like, hitting the bicyclist. It's yes. not the building next to it uh it's very weird that this is it's what, great yeah i do agree their, we should get rid of that orange jeep that's about to run down that bicyclist this and is you're their suffering there. and also this, every city needs to figure out street parking you can't do your normal system which is oh street parking is infinite there will always be street parking that's no longer going to be true yeah. we need to figure this out well and density is the solution so i moved from palo alto a few months ago to noe valley in san francisco which is um i have concluded is the Palo Alto of San Francisco. So I've really some people I've done said, a lateral move. Some people said it's, it's a sensitive community. It has a oh, Palo, oh Noe Valley has a sensitive community. Um I've really <laughs> got to start attending the um the local, you know, young fascists meeting and uh well not young. None, none of the people on these committees are young. Uh but I gotta start attending the ones in Noe Valley just to get some ammo in my quiver. But my point was it is easier any it is easier on any day of the week except for the time around street sweeping easier any day of the week any part of noe valley to park my car than it has been in palo alto i mm. think anywhere close to downtown in palo alto it is way easier to park in noe valley there are no parking lots there are no parking garages but the density is way higher you live yeah. right on a busy bus line that takes you right down to mission you live right on the j church people walk to work people bike to work people take one of my two of my housemates take Uber and Lyft to work. Well, what they do that. It's well, cheaper. They don't drive. What would it take you to completely spots. get rid of a car? What would it take me to completely get rid of a car? Uh, I do. I haul hardware around sometimes. I take longer trips sometimes. I want to go to Berkeley and stay over. Whatever. It's a luxury. I could do without it right now. I would just have to do a little planning head out to do a little more borrowing. I could live without it right now. It's fantastic. What I if, couldn't in Palo Alto, but I really could now. What if they charged you uh, $200 a month for parking in your area? They do in the form of parking tickets. They Good. Do. The system works. The system works. There's <laughs> no ju- parking tickets or street sweeping in Palo Alto. Mm. That In San Francisco, that is... I cannot be mad every time I get a parking ticket. That is the mechanism working. This is the cost of free parking. This... It doesn't exceed the cost of gas, but it is up there in the chart is the cost of occasionally getting parking tickets or the labor and hassle of moving your car all the time. Yeah. I am glad this mechanism exists. It is it is a huge driver for people getting rid of their cars. It should be more expensive to own a car. 
and I'm going to weigh this against my ability to you know run down at lows and get some two by fours. Mm. As long as I treasure that more than I, you know, hate paying seventy bucks once or tw- once you know once every couple of weeks for a parking ticket, so be it. I'll make that calculation. For now, it's worth it. The city gets that money, and fewer people drive, and, and that's it, good. And if 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 it really works to the point that car ownership becomes more expensive, there will become the point that you can rent a car for you know occasional yeah. uses which will be less than it costs yeah, but right exactly. now that's that's a non-starter it's true I mean, when i lived on stanford campus i used the zip car service uh instead of owning a car i didn't own a car for uh eight plus years yeah yeah so uh cause the problem this is uh the another slide here from <laughs> Livable, california it's not zoning uh it's not city's fault uh it's about too much commercial space and businesses don't pay their fair share very it's the cause so they choose to see it as the jobs housing imbalance. Yeah, the, the imbalance. In a vacuum. The imbalance itself decided this. It's it's a it's a agency yes. responsibility. Exactly. Uh, legislation is going to change things at the state level. Uh, it's going to build more supply, as if this is going to uh, fix anything. But decisions in the hands of developers influenced by real estate investors, finance, and business interests. I, I that doesn't sound natural. That doesn't sound reasonable. No. Yeah. No, as it, opposed to the gathering of real estate investors. That is every single person in that room, every single person on their mailing list. If you don't, every single poster on next door is a real estate investor. If you own a home, that is you. Are, are you telling me that if you don't build, people can still make millions of dollars by selling real estate in Palo Alto? Yes, by holding on to real estate, letting abs- making absolutely no value-added improvements, and then just watching the value go up. Yes, you're a smart investor, and you should be rewarded. Okay, so here is I think the the greatest slide outcomes. So here outcomes. is the thing they, they talk about like we hate industry, we hate capitalism, we hate too much development, we hate all this unnatural stuff. We love mother, we love you yes, know they're, our, our simple... they're Trotskyists, yes, yeah. in that sense. <laughs> but it, the outcomes wrote here. Capitalism. What what do they hate? They hate proposed legislation would create high density housing, Uh-oh. loss of single family homes, oh, no. out of scale development. Oh, think of loss, the scale, loss of parking views. Oh, gentrif- we're into it now. Gentrification. A but bi- see, because they're woke, they care about gentrification. A big worry. I'm, I'm, when I go to Palo Alto, I really worry that you know three million will no longer be the price and will start being unaffordable. You know, they are the gentry, and I kind of would love to see them treated like the kulaks were. Yeah, um, we make no endorsements here. Uh, but Livable California just wants to have its it's 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 a it's a development oh, and then problem. Don't forget inadequate provisions for uh, water, schools, community services, or transportation. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh no. We deal with it when we when we deal with it. I, I agree. This alone is not infrastructure financing provision. We need to deal with that in our own way. Yes, we need to expand the tax base. We need to expand the state's authority to build those things. Yeah, so Livable California is basically... But they're not going to say that. That's a bad faith actor that, that makes that an evacuation. Let's not do these things. Uh, they yes. don't really say what they want, but they just don't want to do those things. And yes. this this works. The system of just uh, saying CASA, no. SB 50, no. Uh, any change yeah. to local zoning, no. What does the next slide say? Doesn't it say, in all caps, slow down? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need to pause and plan. Yeah, Is pause it- and plan. I can picture an, an, an old guy shaking their fist at a... At a youngin who's going too fast. So slow and, down. And as far as the fact there is, there is in no small way. Uh, <laughs> I love that phrase, smoke out wiener. <laughs> smoke out wiener. So there is in no small out, way folks. different, different uh, uh, alliances and agreements between all the people here within Livable California. Who came down to this? 
to this meeting in Palo Alto, Dennis Richards, a very oh, yeah. a very woke, sensitive uh, planning commissioner from San Francisco, came down. He's a gentle giant, folks. He's a gentle giant, uh, and he, he, this is this is from uh, this is a. Uh, from a minutes of a liberal California meeting recently talking about pushing back an SB 50. Uh, it's good. We have Anita, a conservative Republican business owner and Dennis, a rabid progressive from tech, both pushing for this. Yeah. That's both <laughs> sides of politics. Those are both the, 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 the polar opposites in any kind of political debate that you could have. And it's good that we have both. If we have both sides, you know, that means we're coming to a good compromise. This is centrism in action, folks. It's so weird that we have rabid, you know, Trump supporters, you know, happily working with crunchy yeah. granola, you know, uh, hippies. Yeah, as cr- long- well, crunchy granola hippies, but that would love, you know— but would would jump in front of a bulldozer that was going to build a homeless shelter, yes. Yes, exactly. As long as it means no change yes. in their neighborhood. Current Trump voters and ex-hippie real estate speculators. Yeah, that's the yeah. political gamut. That's the... You know, that's the, that's, that's the whole spectrum there. This is more than I wanted to talk about just Little California because, like, we haven't really talked about the fact that what is the corrupting value of money uh, as far as perhaps uh, NIMBY billionaire interest in Los Angeles, such as Michael Weinstein, mm. financing a lot of these woke groups that are frequently acknowledged by uh, folks in these liberal California orgs. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, they're woke-washing their argument. They want it. Woke-washing is such a great neologism. It's a good one. I'm yeah. holding on to that one. It's in my back, my back pocket there. When you want something which is incredibly self-serving and regressive, but you know the- And reactionary and harmful to the poor. Absolutely. And, but you know the right words to use to make it sound like you are woke. Yes, to the <laughs> appeal to the conservatism and fear of those, you, of those who, can, who do consider themselves woke and on the side of the poor. They are conservative and afraid in their own way, and they're being manipulated like this. So this is only running an hour. We have no time to talk about Michael Weinstein, but keep that in your hat as far as woke washing goes. I just will say this is breaking my head because I am seeing the fact that I think most normal people, like I feel like I'm more broken than most. As an amateur, yeah. I make this stupid show uh, occasionally <laughs> and I'm on Twitter occasionally. I don't really make professional propaganda uh, in the same way that a pro- the professional does, you know, it's a, yes. a real pro gets money and makes stuff that people who want to put it out there can. And I am definitely seeing uh, the the good stuff is being is being paid for by organizations which are financed as mm-hmm. nonprofits through large grants and other ways, and are being retweeted by Lydia Koo later, which yes. is like. Boy, this is something is deeply broken here. Yes, there is a NIMBY content content factory and a NIMBY uh, manufacturing of consent. And again, I keep coming back to, you know, despite all the problems that YIMBYs and YIMBY Action might have, they absolutely correctly identify the NIMBY media, the NIMBY culture, and excoriate it completely. And that is what the Yimbies have exactly right is their their finger on the pulse of the NIMBY ideology, the NIMBY mindset, and NIMBY culture. It's a real thing worth, worth pushing back on. And I'll say this. I believe money corrupts. The Yimbies have, instead of being funded bottom-up, have said, oh, we have aligned interests with people who want to build. Let's get money from them. That, I think, to a first extent, is not crazy because you know people who are professionals who want to build would like things to get built. Here's the problem. Developers don't just make money by building. They also make money by land baking, land speculation. Yes, they make money by immiserating people as well. They are not good people. And actually, I would not want their money. I, and it concerns me. And I think if you talk about do 
is Yimby really going to be the group who's like full repeal Prop 13? I'm worried they may not be because they are largely financed by people who land bank. Yimby is and always has been a centrist project. Yeah. And this housing, housing construction, ending of the cost of living crisis needs to be a leftist project. But the left is very distracted, very easily distracted, especially online, by the power structures and nuance of land use. And their energy is not going to an effective place. All And it's mostly going to fight the most productive of the Yimby energy is is, is yeah. what is what the online left energy is going towards. Yeah, it's, they are fighting each other as opposed to just letting the landowners just get yes. away with a fortune. All to the amusement of the people who are financing the Nimby content factory and the Nimby yeah. manufacturing consent. <laughs> so I, I, there's there's definitely more to talk about Michael Weinstein in the future, but oh, I yeah. will I will just say that distrust nonprofits. <laughs> Yes, distrust. That, that, oh. that that's my that's my personal recommendation. Nonprofits are always suspect. You should yes. instead you should trust people who are weirdos who are just. I mean, someone who is complete strange guy like Thomas Lord. It's like I I don't yeah. I, I don't think he's correct on anything. He's the weird Marxist NIMBY guy on the Affordable Housing Board of Berkeley, mm. uh, and just one of the I think the most unhelpful people in the discourse. But I think he's honest because he's a He's a weirdo. Yeah, folks, trust weirdos, trust cranks, and <laughs> yeah. and trust uh, the state government, too. I think the state government really is the actor in here that wants the best things. They may not be perfect, but they are your state government. <laughs> yes, they are your state government. They are. They really have your interests closely in mind. They are incredibly accountable to you. They can spend money where it really matters, and they can legislate where it really, really matters. Well, why not trust your city government? Oh, well, you know, a lot of people have a lot of trust in their city government, but there's a very there's a very tight contract in there that is that is the landowners. They get something out of it. People don't really have a sense of of how their state government works for them or if to trust them or not, but I think that the politics building around SP50 can has the potential to be very good and has the potential to bring together more leftward interests for a real positive outcome. Are, are you are you saying that the fact that I have been evicted from Redwood City, evicted from Sunnyvale, moving around like a nomad, and everybody I know has fled the area because of unaffordability? Are you saying their voices are not being heard in our city governments? I would say I would say not. They are off in some other town, you know, living what kind of life they might manage. And the people speaking there are those who remained and those who stay fat and happy from remaining and from driving out who's left. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely hope that, I mean, it is true. If you flee out to the Central Valley, you can still speak to your state government. Yes. And that's fantastic. And I think- And we must. And we must. And everybody who's been displaced from the Bay Area, I think, should morally get their revenge on the fact that their city did not serve them. Yeah, and, and I think that is their state government. They should support, say, yeah. the fact I was kicked out of Sunnyvale because they did not make room for me. Yes, and I, I think the state government should have something to do. Well, about that's this. a hard political project to build, and it's one that, despite how great the policy is around SB fifty, there's not a great political project, a great uniting political project to bring people together who would see who would stand to benefit from increased state control from a reduction of the cost of living. It's all these disparate groups. And again, because of the reduced power of the state, because of the increased role of the nonprofit, you cannot build this great politics. You cannot bring really big disparate groups of people together for a big common goal that will take a lot of money. That is that is the problem of politics building in this country and in this in this little case specifically. 
Yeah, it's it's surprising to hear about how few people who are who are renters are fired up on Prop 13 because it's complicated. People have lives to live. Yes, and it's it's such. Whereas opposed to, I got this in the mail uh, accidentally. Uh, from the Harvard Jarvis Taxpayer Institute. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, wonderful document. You sure? S- <laughs> they put it. It's, they, they, you sure one of the uh, listeners didn't uh, just find this or print it and prank you by uh, dropping uh, it in may- your mailbox? Maybe, but uh, ooh, taxing retirees out of their homes. You know, Bing, Bing, Bing. Number one. It's even beautiful- if you are a renter in this state. You can you can always picture your home a homeowner. You're probably picturing your parents. Let's talk about how disgusting this logo is. The logo of 13. the Howard Jarvis. It is it is the state house with uh, thirteen Roman numerals being built in directly into the into dome. the columns. It's fantastic. <laughs> it, that is California. That is yes. literally what California is. Is Prop thirteen is the fundament in which we are all uh, sitting upon. Yes. Uh, this oh, is a. Oh, oh, oh. They actually. This is nice. They they actually put extra. Make a fake post-it note. Put on top of it. Oh, that looks like it's handwritten, but it's actually. Yeah. Oh, so it's like it's like Prop thirteen is saving you all this money. This gets people informed in a way that yes. tenants are just, no one is telling tenants all the ways they're getting screwed. Well, and the prose is written out in quick hits, too. Look at how it's written. It's read to be yeah. easily digested. You know, outrage, 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 outrage. <laughs> they know what they're doing. The political, you know, the politics building by the suburban fascists is strong, and it is pervasive, and it is statewide, and they are appealing directly to their interests. And the left has not had such success. It's very easy to unite the right, not so to the left. Um, but they are working tirelessly, and they're going to meetings for free. Yeah. And they are doing, they are posting, they are calling their representatives, because there's money in it for them. And there's not a lot of money in it for for people. It's It's what very little they have is staked on reduction of the cost of living, but they won't see a check from it like these homeowners will by yeah. completing their politics. I went to a um, I went to a tenants assembly in the South Bay last month. Great people, great great orgs, uh, great uh, you know. Real, I think just really lovely people throughout. Their tenants trying to help themselves, trying to survive. Mm. Were they fired about land use? No, this was not yeah. something they were organized around. And because of that, their interests in land use were not being served. Yes, they they hate everyone they know that wields any power in land use is their enemy, and they should they probably should hate everyone in their lives who wields power through land use. They don't know any kind of force for good that would wield any good power through land use. They don't have an example for it. And they choose not to pay attention to it, not think about it. And we're not talking about it right now. But who is if there's money being brought down to the tenant orgs where does it come from with a little bit of stipulations on what you support as far as land use michael weinstein yes. who's a nimby whose main goal in los angeles is to stop construction in his vicinity so mm-hmm. it is not shocking yes or that- from, um it's these it's these same kind of people these people coming up out of everywhere um who are homeowners probably own multiple properties who stand to see the stat who would love to see the status quo continue and they appeal to the left to maintain the status quo. And they're succeeding much more than the leftists who would seek to change it on land use. Am I unreasonable to say if you run a tenants organization, you yourself need to be a tenant? Because I believe that because I think that unless maybe you can have money in the bank, and you don't need to be a tenant. But I think you're never going to understand the tenants experience if you live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood and the tenants thing is just something you kind of deign to help with. I mean, there there are a couple purity tests that these that these um, that these homeowner operators of tenants' rights groups. There are some there are some tests that they could follow to show if they really were a traitor to their class. Uh, they don't follow them. They choose to sidestep them and talk about um, things that have absolutely no standing for them um, and no impact on their lives. But 
talk about how very woke they can be and how it's woke to not change anything. There are very nice people I know who are homeowners, but I am skeptical you're ever going to really help tenants if you helping tenants is going to mean that your $1.5 million investment is now worth like next to nothing. Oh, yeah. They would, they, you can, and just by talking to these people, even if they're quite nice, if they're any kind of, if they're tuned in in any way to the value of their home and the politics around that, which they all are because they're, they're effectively being paid to, they will toss the tenants under the bus very quickly. They will toss the environment under the bus. They will toss anything under it that, as long as, long as they can keep their quarter mil, half mil, that's at stake, or even more. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's even if you're being a nice person, like oh, it's like oh, of course we need we need radical change. I'm with you. I'm I'm a radical too. Yes. But but let's not change Prop 13 all at once. Yes. Let's not be. Of course, that's a little bit ridiculous. You got to think of the homeowners to yes. some extent. It's like it's like boy, you know, you have signed up with the wrong class yes. here. Well, these people would consider themselves liberals or even leftists. Almost all of these people, um, but they have their certain issues that they, you know that they will put their virtues up on as long as you don't change land use. Yeah. They consider themselves good people on the account that they recycle and, you know, pull the lever that that says Democrat. But God forbid they would see their town made into a better place for poor people. But there's even people who are Yimbies, who are homeowners, who I still am skeptical. If you own Mm -hmm. a home, I don't think you'll really be radical enough. It's true. And I I can see that change taking place personally in people that I know when they buy homes. Yeah. I'm really like a a number of my friends somehow are finding the money and interest to buy homes right now. And I'm kind of scared about what it's going to do to their politics and their personhood. When they become their, then when they become landlords of themselves and of others, yeah, it's. I don't know if it's going to be good. <laughs> Whereas I am, I mean, maybe I'm a performative weirdo and I'm living in a place that's 86 square feet, because uh, <laughs> I am actually hoping, like, I want to stay angry, you know, because yeah. I. So uh, I, uh, I think that people should be angry, and I think that if you want to harness your own empathy for the suffering of others, don't just build yourself a gated community and shelter yourself from the pain of what this is creating for everybody. You should Mm. actually own up to it and live it. Yeah, seriously. (sighs) Uh, Any final thoughts or is that good? Um, Repeal Prop 13 land value tax now. Standard sign off. Sounds good to me. We have been talking to Max Kapczynski. All about SB50 and its eventual icing, the suburban mindset, and more. You can find this episode and all previous episodes of the Henry George Program on the website seethecat.org. This presentation of Casey Shear Stanford.